Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 73 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I hope this episode finds you well. If you're listening the day this episode drops, then it's Veterans Day in the United States, or at least the day we're observing it. Therefore, I thought I'd do a military-slash-battle theme. Before we move on, if you're in the military or have ever served, I want to thank you for your service. Now, let's march on to find out today's phrases, origins, history, and more. First up is the idiom, all is fair in love and war, which means that nothing is too great or terrible when it comes to love or war. It projects a whatever-it-takes type of sentiment. The fight for love can be just as brutal as the battlefield, but both can be worth the sacrifices made. In 1579, John Lyly, an English writer and dramatist, published Euphase, The Anatomy of Wit. And here's a rough translation from that writing. Quote, the rules of fair play do not apply in love and war. End quote. Sure, it's not exactly the modern-day saying, but it shows that at least the idea was in use by this time. We find the modern-day version first written down in 1850, in English novelist Frank Smedley's book, Frank Fairley. After he used the saying, it began finding its way into other works that have become classics. For example, Don Quixote. Now, let's bite the bullet. To bite the bullet means to do something unpleasant or painful, yet unavoidable. One of the most often cited origins for this idiom comes from Civil War medicinal practices. Supposedly, due to a lack of anesthesia, surgeons would put a bullet in the mouth of an injured soldier to give them something to bite down on to avoid breaking teeth. The problem with this theory is that the Civil War surgeons had anesthesia available to them. In fact, for nearly two decades before the Civil War, both ether and chloroform were used as a way to make medical procedures less painful for the patient. Another popular theory also has to do with soldiers, but this time it's folks fighting in the Indian Rebellion of 1857, specifically sepoys, which were Indian soldiers fighting under European orders. About this time, a newfangled rifle was coming into use. To fire it, you had to bite the top off of a greased paper cartridge to release the gunpowder. Most of the sepoys didn't want to bite the greased bullet, because if they were Hindu, they were worried about the grease being from cattle, and if they were Muslim, they were worried it was covered in pig fat. Being told by their superiors to just go ahead and bite the bullet anyway is often cited as the beginning of this phrase. But again, we have an issue. We find this saying in print over 60 years before the rebellion took place. Francis Gross, an English antiquary, draughtsman, and lexicographer, wrote a classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue in 1796. We've heard from Gross before in episode 24. 
Anyway, in this book of vulgar sayings, he wrote the following as a definition for Nightingale. Quote, a soldier who, as the term is, sings out at the halberts, it is a point of honor in some regiments, among the grenaders, never to cry out, or become nightingales, whilst under the discipline of the cat of nine tails, to avoid which they chew a bullet. End quote. Yes, I know, it says chew, not bite, but it still counts. Since Gross also compiled books of Proverbs, it's likely he didn't invent the saying, but merely wrote it down. Either way, it shows that the saying was in use long before the Indian Rebellion or the Civil War. Now, this saying may have come from the old-timey times practice of biting a billet. A billet, spelled B-I-L-L-E-T, is a thick piece of wood. Prior to the invention of anesthesia, billets may have been placed between the teeth of ailing folks to keep them from breaking their teeth during the procedure. Bullet is only one letter off from billet, so it's not hard to imagine the phrase evolving in this way. Okay, now it's time to play horseshoes. Alright, sure, we can't physically all play horseshoes together right now. However, horseshoes are a big part of our next idiom which is close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. This is sometimes said as close doesn't count except in horseshoes and hand grenades, and some folks also use the word almost in place of close. However you want to phrase this phrase, it basically just means that only a win matters. Coming in second or losing doesn't matter because it's not a victory and therefore it doesn't count. So, why do shoes for equines and an explosive device share a commonality for closeness? Well, in the game of horseshoes, if you throw your horseshoe at the stake and it lands within six inches, you get one point. So, close does count, at least for something. And for the grenades, well, you don't have to hit your target exactly to cause destruction. On average, a grenade can cause damage for about 130 feet or 40 meters. Obviously, the closer it is to something, the more damage it will do, but that's a pretty wide range, so close certainly counts for hand grenades as well. Now, we have the why, so let's look at the when. Many people attribute this one to Frank Robinson, a Major League Baseball outfielder and manager. On July 31, 1973, he was quoted in Time magazine as saying, quote, Close don't count in baseball. Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. End quote. Unfortunately for fans of Frank, he couldn't have been the originator of the phrase. Although this quote in the widely read Time magazine by a famous baseball player likely made it more popular. In an article of the Lincoln, Nebraska newspaper, the Lincoln Daily News, from August 15, 1914, we find the precursor to the phrase in writing. Quote, Close does not count, only in horseshoes. End quote. The game of horseshoes is thought to be about as old as horseshoes themselves, and while there's some debate on when people first started shoeing hoofed animals, the game has been around for at least 2,000 years. Knowing this, the phrase could have certainly been in use prior to 1914 but this was the oldest written use of this verbiage I could track down. 
Now, at least some rudimentary form of hand grenades were already in use by 1914, but they were often handmade and even more dangerous than the ones that came into use over the next few years. However, grenades aren't added to the idiom for over 50 years, at least not in writing. The Gutharian, a newspaper from Guthrie County, Iowa, printed this in an article from January 26, 1970. Quote, Close only counts in horseshoes and grenades. End quote. So, from animals to a game to war to the baseball diamond, this idiom has been on quite a journey. Now, let's beat a hasty retreat. If you beat a hasty retreat, it means, well, you retreat hastily. It seems pretty obvious, so why am I including it today? Well, because there's more to this saying than meets the eye. The beat is where the hidden meaning lies. The word beat has an awful lot of meanings for such a small word. And while one of these meanings is to leave, we need the meaning that refers to rhythmically striking an instrument. Specifically for this phrase, a drum. To beat a hasty retreat used to be said simply as beat the retreat. This came about from the old-timey times military practice of giving orders to troops via drums. One of these orders that was given via percussion was to retreat. However, this wasn't always used in a bad situation. In the 17th century, it was common for fighting to stop at sunset, and a drum signaled retreat, which in this case just meant it was time to go back to camp. We know this because of this quote from an unnamed officer in the army of James II, the English king. The officer said this in 1690, quote, The general, the signal to get up and start fighting again, to be beat at three o'clock in the morning. You retreat to beat at nine at night. End quote. Now, although it was in use in a literal sense for a long time prior, the idiomatic version of the saying wasn't put into print until the 19th century. In October of 1827, the Times reprinted an article from the Kentish Gazette, which was a weekly newspaper from Canterbury, Kent. I'm not sure exactly when the Kentish Gazette originally printed it, which is why I'm including the date of the reprinting in the Times, since it was around the same time. Anyway, here's what it said, quote, A few nights ago, a fair trader had commenced unloading her cargo, consisting of light goods, in the pent. But in the midst of the operation was discovered by the Philistines, and obliged to beat a hasty retreat across the rope walk to the sea. End quote. So, whether you're headed to bed or need to escape something, you can use this saying to announce your intentions. And with that, it's time for today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from General Colin Powell. Here's what he had to say about being a leader. Quote, The day the soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help them or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. End quote. Thank you, General Powell, for giving us today's familiar quotation.
All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer, remember that this advice is over 100 years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't expect a man to see everything from a woman's point of view. Try to put yourself in his place for a change. And now for the men. Don't keep up the poor little woman pose too long. A woman may like to be a plaything for a little while, but the novelty soon wears off. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 73. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers. I'll just end this with another thank you to all those who serve or have served. Thank you, and toodaloo. And now... This is... Let me rephrase. A project... Nope. <laughs> Which were Indian soldiers fighting under European olders. Olders? There's no... <laughs> To fire it, you had to bite the top off of... Francis Gross, an English antiquary, draughtsman, and lexicographer, wrote in 19... Nope, 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 nope. So why do shows... Shows? <laughs> the word beat has an awful lot of meanings for such a small world. We need the meaning that refers to rhythmic, rhythmic, <laughs> let's just back that up. We need the meaning that refers to rhythmic, rhythmic, <laughs> rhythmically, rhythmically, rhythm, I swear I can say words better than the bloopers would imply. The officer said this in six, nope, 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 nope. The officer said this, no, I still said it wrong.